<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Oh, y'all, we are in for a treat. Today, we are welcoming Danielle and Adam from Marriage and Martinis podcast. This podcast has over 3.5 million downloads, and they have an Instagram community of over 300,000. They're all about figuring out marriage, relationship, talking through the hardest parts, celebrating the good stuff. And they have such an incredible story. I'm so excited to bring them on today to learn about it, to hear about it from their mouths and also what we can all learn from it. I think there's so much to learn from people who have been through experiences, whether we've been through those or not, we may one day go through them ourselves or have friends who go through them too. And seeing as so many of us are in long-term relationships or marriage or have been or hope to be at one point, I hope this conversation lends itself into your life in exactly the way you need it. Please welcome Danielle and Adam. All right, Danielle and Adam, Marriage and Martinis podcast. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Second, tell me how the heck you all got into podcasting because you're doing really well at it. And I always love hearing why people thought, you know what, this is the thing. This is what we need to use our voice for. And this is how we're going to do it. So what is like your origin story in even getting into podcasting in the first place? I'll let Danielle do this was all her idea. So I'm going to let her okay. go, go ahead with it. I, I love <laughs> that. Yeah. Our story actually is um, pretty unique because neither of us, Adam has always listened to podcasts, like since before mm. they were cool, you know, he was, yeah. he listened Ooh, to like, he's one of those the first <laughs> podcasts, whatever that was, he was listening. <laughs> <laughs> I knew nothing about podcasts. However, we were going through a really, really hard time. Adam had just lost his father and uh, Adam's in a family business. So he was facing a lot of pressure Mm. to take over the business and his stress manifested in a lot of different ways. And, you know, in turn, I had probably done a lot of things to bring a lot of that stress on. However, you know, at the time I was a hundred percent, like it's all Adam's fault. I have no blame in this. You know, it's taken a lot of time for me to realize that I absolutely had, you know, it takes two to tango. And he was just like, it was getting to the point where 
we call it what he was doing escapism. He was just leaving, you know, for days at a time, going to Atlantic City um, for days. And I wouldn't know when he was coming home. I didn't know if he was coming home. It was just really hard. And in the morning when I would wake up and he wouldn't be there, and you know, I have these three kids, I wouldn't know what to tell them. And it got to the point basically where we always had this really awesome banter. Like we've always had this connection and this chemistry when we talk. And even through it all, we would sit in our living room till late into the night with a cocktail and just talk. And at the end, we would always be like, we should have been recording that. And then I started to look for a podcast or an outlet or something with someone similar going through what I was going through. I didn't want self-help. I didn't want religious base. Like, I just wanted someone to be like, I see you. I am in the thick of it also. And like, I me, like me too. Like you yeah. want to see there's somebody else out there that's like going through the same stuff. And you just want that me too connection. Yeah. You, you, know? Yeah. You just want someone to be like, you, this is, this is okay. And I couldn't find it anywhere concerning relationships. Like it just seemed like everyone was either already through it or weren't willing to talk about it or like, here's how to get out of it. So I came to Adam one night and I was like, we should start a podcast thinking he was going to laugh in my face. And he actually was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Well, we were like three cocktails in That's when true. you mentioned it to me. They have the martinis. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to need to know where the martinis come into play here. So <laughs> that is, that is perfect. So, okay, let's backtrack for a minute because you brought up something that I've noticed is really difficult for relationships to get through. And that's grief. I have people in our family who right after a loss of a parent were divorced, they were newlyweds and then went straight into divorce. I've had friends who separated for years during a season of grief. And this is not something that marriage books prepare you for. They tell you like, kids change your relationship, finances change your relationship, extramarital stuff like changes your relationship. But grief is like this sub thing, this like big thing that people will likely go through in the midst of marriage. And there's not a lot of people bringing up those conversations and having those discussions. How was it, like you said, you weren't really finding a lot of resources. What was actually that path into, you know, you talk about being marriage from rock bottom, but that also being, you know, the catalyst of grief. How did you end up moving through it in a way that worked for you both? Well, it it was the podcast. I mean, you know, Mm. we... So you did it like during the time of like chaos. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like the thick of it. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that Our part. Our first episodes are, I mean, and, and we weren't even at rock bottom yet. We thought we were, but while we were podcasting, like secrets came out and lies came out and oh, wow. we weren't even, and we were at financial rock bottom too. I mean, mm. we were, we were really. Yeah. There, there were many episodes, you know, during recording that we would just throw off our, <laughs> our headphones you know, fight, you know, and like leave for the night, you know, and like it yeah. just didn't happen. We didn't record it. We didn't release it, you know, because it was just, we didn't know what we were doing. It was too hard. It was just the beginning stages of us being able to, we didn't really ever talk, you know, mm. about important issues, you know, that involved us in our marriage. And this podcast was kind of forcing us to finally, for once, talk about our issues. And so the development of, you know, the podcast is really how we grew and, you know, gain perspective on our marriage and our relationship and what, what, you know, what works for us and what doesn't. And, you know, so it really is the podcast that took us out of everything. 
You know, it reminds me of Armchair Expert and the whole world went wild when we listened to Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell have an argument on a podcast. Right. And I felt like that was one of the first times I felt, oh my God, you know how like they used to on magazines, like they're pumping gas, they're just like us. And I was like, no, they're fighting. Like they're, they're struggling through something. They're having miscommunications and they're talking about it in real time. You know, we have all these like real time crime podcasts and all of these different things that follow real time. But when it comes to a relationship, that's like an incredibly vulnerable state to be. And let's be real. I've been through divorce. I know what it's like. Nobody finds out what's going on if they ever do until after, until after repair or after demise. So with all of that kind of bringing it to the forefront, how did you deal with the mass amount of opinions and people who would kind of decide for you what the fate of your relationship should be? And how did you get that focus on what ultimately was your opinions? I'll start with something and then I'll let you yeah, yeah, go yeah, so when we were saying before, whatever we do on the podcast, whatever we say, it's real. When we're fighting, mm-hmm. they're fights, they're real. And in the beginning, I would ask people like, do you listen? And they're like, just the ones with the fights. You know, yeah. those are the ones that I mm-hmm. like, you know, because it's that me too connection. They're, yeah. they're hearing me say things to Danielle. They probably wouldn't say to their wives or vice versa, yeah. you know, that, oh, it is okay to talk to your partner that way. It is okay to say these things to each other. You know, like you, you need to let these things out. And in the beginning, Danielle was looking for somebody else, like a me too, you know, just to cope with her feelings and what she mm-hmm. was going through. And then we got all these responses from everybody else that were listening, saying, oh my God, you know, me too, we're going through this, but even worse, or even not as bad or, you know, whatever. But what we're finding out by doing this is we're the ones saying that, like, wow, there's all these people out there that are just like us. Yeah. We really didn't know. I mean, we really, I thought I had a hunch but when we, when we started it, we really said it's all or nothing. Um, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it, you know, and, and nobody really knew what we were going through. Even our families didn't really know the extent of it. I think they had suspicions, but once we started putting it out there, you know, I mean, you know how it is when, when, when you're vulnerable, you, you really figure out who your people are. Right. And you really figure out who's there for Sarah and who's not like, who's, who's there for you in all your, you know, your real rawness and who isn't. And we had friends who were unbelievably supportive. And then we had a few people who were just kind of like humiliated and embarrassed and saying, why are you doing this? What if your kids listen, all of that. And you just kind of are like, you know, those aren't our people. And the, the positive was way outweighing the negatives. And of course there were people saying, you really need to just get a divorce. Mm. you know, like, what are you doing that, you know, you just need to divorce. And I'm not going to lie. There was certainly a point where we talked about it, but you know, you, people are sort of like giving you, it's like Brene Brown, unless you're in the ring, getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback, you know? Yeah. And I'm so, you make such a good point when you say about like, well, what if the kids listen to this? And there's such an abandonment of humanity when people become parents and when people enter into marriage in the first place, suddenly it's like marriage is priority over person and motherhood is priority over person or parenthood is a priority. And I've noticed this so much where people have this like great concern for the children or great concern that if somebody sees you getting a divorce, they might do it too. Like, Nobody would choose that if they didn't ultimately know how hard it is to walk that path. 
same with like, like choosing repair. Like there's, they're both hard paths in really different ways, but sheltering kids from what is reality of our, of our adulthood, I think is causing a lot of anguish and causing a lot of shame and causing a lot of like rift of reality. When I went through my divorce, I allowed my kids to ask me as many questions as they humanly wanted to ask. And that really like flowed that communication in a way where, yeah, maybe in the books, they might've been too young to learn some stuff or understand who I was as a person. But ultimately, like we respectfully were able to go through that season of life. Now, how old were your kids when all of this was going on for you? And was there like some open communication with them? Were they aware of, you know, truly what you all were talking about, especially in a public way? I I always said, if anybody says, well, what if your kids listen to this? You're going to screw them up or, you know, whatever. And I always thought to myself, like, well, if they did, number one, they're not going to because we reveal way too much and nobody wants to hear that from their parents. <laughs> you know, fair, there's a lot fair. of stuff in there that you don't want to hear. But if they did, and when they were old enough to do so, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I wish we had something like this before we got married. You know, like marriage is tough. And here's the real problems. You know, don't go into it thinking everything is all perfect. You know, this is a good thing to hear. So I have no issue at all if my kids ever listen to not that they would, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. And, and we never say, you know, I, I have the rule, like we never say anything bad about anybody. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not there to throw anybody under the bus. We, you know, it, we're not selling anything to anybody that's bad or scamming them or, you know, promoting anything that's, we're just talking about real life issues. Um, but when we were going through the thick of it, you asked how old they were. I think, uh, I guess our, our oldest was around 12 when we were going through really 12, 13. And then we had a 10 year old and a seven year old or six year olds. Not good at math. But at the time they, especially our daughter, they knew something was up, you know, why isn't dad coming home and, and all of this and a little bit, I would just, you know, say like dad needs time to himself or he's working a lot and he needs a break. And, but now very much they know what we went through um, mm-hmm. and we're very honest with them in hindsight about, listen, in the middle of it, because of financial issues, we had to move. Mm-hmm. We had to literally move out of our house into a smaller home and, you know, pick up and start again. And we had to, and when we did it, you know, we, we had two choices. We could say, oh, you know, we, we don't like the neighborhood or we want to be in a different school or whatever. Or we could be like, listen, we screwed up. We screwed up bad and we want to make it right. And in order to make it right, we need to start again. And it's okay to start again. And so that's kind of what we did. We were sort of like, listen, we we went through it and we're picking up the pieces. Yeah. I think there's like this great guttural experience that people have in the shame in what it would look like to start again. Like I moved in with my parents to start again. And I like hid that from people. I didn't want to tell people like I was so ashamed. And I look back on that time and I'm like, why? Because it was actually the best thing. It was what I needed to do. Like for you all, you needed to do this, that what you had to have something, what else is going to happen? And we just have this way of living life and the way it's projected where it's like you go down this list and you check off and it's constantly leveling up and leveling up. But sometimes when you level up, it's you're, you're not doing well there. And you forget that we can like level back down and figure out how to navigate through again. So that when you level up, you level up in a way that is real and true, not in the way that how it looks and how it appears. Now you all, before we ever did this podcast, you sent a bunch of different things that you all talk about. And one of them really stood out 
to me. And that was how keeping up with the Joneses nearly killed y'all. Like it was so difficult. And now talking about that shame and like restarting and stuff, I'm wondering what was that story for you and how that really played into some of your difficulties in your marriage as well. This idea of having to have bigger and better. And I I talk a lot about destination addiction on the pod, just about that idea of the next thing is what makes you happy. And that's hard when you see everybody else in that next thing and trying to figure out what your step should be if it's not that one or doing it ahead of your time potentially. So share with me your keeping up with the Joneses story? So I I had a, you know, a really good, you know, safe, great childhood. You know, like we had money, like for the second half of my childhood, you know, we had money, my dad had his own business and things were going well. And I was accustomed to that lifestyle. And my, you know, my dad always having nice cars and a nice house. We moved in, you know, into a bigger house and, you know, and on and on with the dinners and the, you know, everything. And I wanted obviously to keep that going, you know, even when I was out of my parents' house and yeah, I wasn't as financially successful as my parents were, but we were doing our own thing. I was accustomed to that way and things were good. Things, you know, kept moving along and I tried every which way to shuffle money here, or, you know, come from there or make it happen with spreadsheets and make it work. And, you know, and I always wanted the nice cars. I kept going to the bigger houses, you know, the latest technology. I'm a huge Apple nerd. I love like Apple computers and phones and all same. that Same. I, I hear you. I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were my nerdy podcasts from like 10 years ago and it wasn't cool. Like, okay. Oh, oh, that time. was you. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm following. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one. I get it. Exactly. I get so, it. So I just wanted to keep it going as much and as fast as possible. And then finally it was like, wait a minute, we can't. And it was too late. You know, we had the big house. We had the nice cars. We had the going out to eat two, you know, two times a week. We had, you know, it's like the nice dinners and all that kind of stuff. So it finally just snowballed and caught up to us. And it was just like, almost felt like just one day was like, you know, bam, like, no, sorry, you're, you're out of money. <laughs> you know, like you can't do this anymore. We, we gotta, we have to figure this out. Did social media play a part in this at all too? This is my big thing. It's like, I've just noticed we're showing off our lives more and there well, is that on, feeling of I'm being not relevant. On social media, so I don't, oh, Danielle does oh, the Instagram. I don't, yeah. Danielle, did you ever, did you feel that same way though? Like, did you also have that keeping up with the Joneses mentality or were you a little bit more uh, on the other side of it? Like, where did you kind of stand in all of that? Yeah, I, same kind of thing. I think that I blamed him a lot when we, so we, we talk about how we had this big house and then all of a sudden, once, once the money ran out, we, it began, it became like, you know, those Russian dolls where you like take the little one yeah. out, you know, the bigger one, the, the little one, a little one, like that's what ended up happening to us. We moved to a smaller house and a smaller house. You know, we just had to keep trying to figure out how to get back what we lost. But also we, we never communicated. And when we, when we first got married, I decided without really consulting Adam or anything, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I didn't, I never said, you know, what's that going to look like for us? And how are we going to make that happen? And are you okay with that? How do you feel? You know, there was never any, like, what's the five-year plan? Am I ultimately going to work? We just had no, and listen, I think a stay-at-home mom is an amazing, you know, thing. I I think it's wonderful. And I'm so glad for so many reasons that I did it. But like Adam said, there was never any communication. So even though I wasn't spending maybe as much or I was spending in different ways, 
I was also sort of just like a hundred percent putting that financial burden on him without saying like, all right, let's figure this out together. I didn't know our, our mortgage costs. I didn't know, you know, what I had no idea. Like I wasn't involved in that at all. And so, you know, a little bit, that has been something that I've since realized, like, we really needed, we really need to have open, honest conversations about that because one to put all of that pressure on, and we were very, we were both raised in, in homes where, you know, it was, there was a lot of dichotomy. Like there was a lot of extremes of one parent is fully in charge of this. And one parent is fully in charge of that. And, and we very much for a long time, were just trying to replicate what our parents did. And yeah, we so had, many of us know, do. Yeah. And, and, and we are so not our parents and it's taken us so long to figure that out. But I mean, our communication in the last three years, it's just, it's unbelievable what happens when you actually talk. We were also very young when we first started and got together and got married and like by today's standards, I'd say. How were, how old were you? Well, we were, what, tw- how old were we when we moved in together? Twenty. 20- Three? 22. 22? Yeah. yeah. We got married at 25, first kid at 28, you know, like, so we, we were still our parents, you know what I mean? Like, we weren't old enough to mature into ourselves yet. I just want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors because they are the reason this show is even possible. So thank you to the listeners because you're the reason why we do the show and our sponsors are the reason that we get to. So thanks to both because you listening to these ads mean that we are supported to continue on. And that means so much. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about Talkspace because the people around us make a huge impact on our lives and life's pressures can cause those relationships to change for better or for worse. You might be feeling like you're struggling in relationships. Maybe you're growing out of friendships. Maybe you're struggling with family or even partners. Whether you're having complicated feelings about a relationship or you just need a neutral person to talk to, Talkspace Online Therapy connects you with a licensed professional to help you work through it. Therapy has been one of the key highlights of my life. I believe that my career is here. My relationship is here because of the work I've done through therapy. I believe it's one of the best investments I've ever made. In Talkspace, well, they're ready to help you start feeling better with a single message. You can set goals with your Talkspace therapist and develop techniques to cope in difficult times. Talkspace offers individual therapy, couples therapy, and medication prescription services. And Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform. There are thousands of licensed therapists available for you to match across dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Talkspace works around your schedule at your convenience with live video session and unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist. If you need a little support to help you through the end of this year or want to start building towards a better upcoming year, Talkspace is here to help. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with promo code PAPAYA. That's $100 off when you use code PAPAYA at Talkspace.com. Thanks for listening and take care. Life is all about those pivotal moments, those big life changes when we ask ourselves, why didn't somebody tell me this? I'm TV host and journalist, Abby Huntsman. My best pal, comedy writer, and media producer, Lauren Leeds, and I are going to bring you conversations with some of the most impactful people of our time to learn their life lessons. 
We'll pull back the curtain on their biggest transitions, how their reality is probably far less perfect than it might appear. And of course, what they wish somebody had told them back when. Check out I Wish Somebody Told Me anywhere you listen to podcasts. We release new episodes every week. No, I literally did the same thing. I moved out of my parents' house. I got engaged at 18, got married at 19, and then had three kids. Went through divorce at 30. So I like restarted at 30, which is still really young. But, you know, we talk about this in terms of like communication. And I think a lot of people are like, yes, communication, like talk about our feelings, talk about our hopes and dreams. No, also talk about money. Because on the flip side, I did something different where I also didn't know about our finances. I was the stay-at-home mom. So I was like, I have no skin in that game. I'm going to stay out of it. And during our divorce and like what happened afterwards, I had no bank account. I had no idea how a mortgage was done. I had no idea how to pay my own bills. I didn't even know how to do like direct deposits from my bank account. I had zero financial literacy and that was by my own choice because I was like, no, that freaks me out. No, that's not the kind of communication I want to have. I'm here for the feelings, here for the hopes and dreams. I don't want to talk about money. And now I'm remarried and that's something I definitely have brought with me. I have to be so like my husband's like, we need to sit down and have like a bit of a plan. Like what is our plan for our lives? So we're just moving through it. We've got no financial plan here. And I'm just like, I keep being like, sorry, no room on my calendar. Sorry, no room on my calendar. And you're really reminding me that like communication is so key for so much more than just our hopes and dreams and feelings and repair. It is as simple as we need to be having conversations and real ones about the things that are actually freaking us out too, like money. I think there's something about talking about it that makes it very scary, but it shouldn't like all communication. Of course, it's, it's, there's a, there's a, a vulnerability that's involved. There's like two sides of two people because that's what unity is, is like two different people coming into this one communal experience. And we need to know what each other wants. You can't just avoid that conversation because guess what? What if my husband has an entire, I don't even know. What if he has an entirely different life plan financially or what he wants for the rest of his life? And what if I am like, I want to do this job for X amount of years and then I'm done. I want to retire at this age. We actually don't know these things about each other. And that's kind of a scary place to be. So instead of like kind of leaning out of those things, really leaning into them, do you guys have really open communication about finances now? Like, do you both feel really good about talking about finances? Like, does that ick factor ever really go away? Well, you know, I have to say, as far as finances go, look, that struggle is always going to be there for us because, you know, because first of all, we're forever rebuilding what we lost. And, you know, and that's something that we want to make sure, you know, but our priorities have so changed and our priorities are so aligned now. But for instance, you know, my, my daughter who our 16 year old, you know, who is, she was recently diagnosed, she's you know, severe ADHD. She's on uh, autism spectrum and she's a class, unclassified learning disability. She's LGBTQ, all of these things. Her school um, has not, you know, been a good fit for her. So, you know, we want to look into private schools for her, which obviously is a huge financial burden. And had, you know, I brought, when I brought this idea to Adam, had I brought it to him three years ago, it would have just been a fight. It would have been, uh, no, we can't afford it. No, we can't do it. You know, blah, 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 like a back and forth. Uh, one of us is going to win. One of us is going to lose. And this time when I brought it to him, it was very much, uh, okay, let's really talk about this. Let's really see how we're going to do it. You know, and he said, you know, he was saying to me, there are certain things 
we're going to have to give up. And there's certain, and to sit down and really like, talk because ultimately we're on the same team. Ultimately we have the same daughter. We want the same things for her. And people forget that. I think like ultimately he needs to worry about things in a way that I don't, or his head is going in a way that I'm not my, you know, I'm dealing with the mental load of knowing everything she's going through and, and to make each other really understand that it takes, you know, it takes a sort of empathy for each other. Okay. He's worried about this. I'm worried about this. However, we're both team, you know, Adam and Danielle, we're both team Mia, our daughter, like, and, and now we know that. Yeah. Now this is what kind of blows me away about you all is like, you're so honest about so many different factors. And obviously this has expanded. You've had much bigger conversations around like parenthood and all these different parts too. And one thing that I really wanted to ask about was, you know, we talked a little bit about grief and, you know, what it is to have marriage when you're dealing with something that heavy. And one part of that I consider is a huge grief factor because it's not always a loss of a person. Sometimes it's like a loss of self and postpartum is a huge part of that. Postpartum is like a very huge grief season for a lot of couples and a lot of people. And you actually went through actual postpartum depression as well. How was that season in your marriage? And as you kind of have these and navigate these conversations now, revisiting that season of life, is there anything that you look back on and think differently on? Or how how was that experience for you in both, you know, postpartum, that storyline and, you know, marriage? Yeah, the, the, you yeah. want me to? Yeah. Okay, so the our postpartum story was really started during my pregnancy. Um, mm, I have I same. suffer from severe OCD, like debilitating, real diagnosed OCD. And before I I got uh, I started trying for a, a baby, you know, when I was very young, like I said, I mean by standards of, you know, I didn't know a lot of other people getting pregnant or anything. My doctor said to me, "You need to go off your SSRIs if you're going to get pregnant." Oh um, wow. Yeah. I mean, this is 17 years ago. Yeah, I guess so. Makes sense. Yeah. So me trying to be the good mom from before it even happened, you know, before I even conceive, I'm like, okay. And I just go off of them. And, you know, in, in the next two to three months, I absolutely spiraled out of control, ended up getting pregnant very quickly. And then got to the point where I literally couldn't function. I was barely eating. I had to quit my job because I was basically, you know, reverted back to just like, I was like a prisoner pretty much. Mm -hmm. I moved out with Adam. I moved in with my parents and they basically like nursed me and took care of me. So I slowly started back on my meds. And then, you know, by the time we we all knew I was going to have postpartum, it was sort of like all the red flags were there. All the warning signs were there. And I don't know if you want to talk about this part, but, you know, we were young and Adam didn't know how to deal with it all. You know? Yeah, I, I knew nothing about OCD. I've never experienced it before. And, and with Danielle, it was so severe. I didn't know what to do. Again, I was very young. Had it been today, obviously things would be a lot different. I would know what to do and be able to help her. But back then I couldn't. So she she did have to, you know, like she said, move in with her parents for a little while. And then after that, I needed to learn. I wanted to know what was going on, how to help, you know, the whole thing. So I started going with her for her treatment. So I can learn, like, just sit in. So you know, it was a long, many years process of, thank God, you know, she has it under control now, but I, I didn't know what to do. You know, like, I didn't know how or what or what, I, anything. 
It fascinates me that we're in this day and age where people like joke about conditions like OCD. Like people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so OCD. Like look yeah. at that. Oh my God, it's like, so everywhere. Like every, it's everywhere. You know, yeah. I, 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 and it minimizes, you know, you know, and the same thing with ADD, ADHD, which me and my kids both share, you know, and that's, well, I'm so ADD, I'm, you know, I can't sit still, you know, whatever. It's just the same thing as an OCD excuse, you know. I know you've heard me talk about Array before, but I'm going to share about it in a bit of a different experience today. Previously, I've shared with you about that time I had a really cheesy pizza or that really big salad, and I definitely needed something to manage my bloat, my symptoms of that food, which was not great. I was feeling not so amazing. And the Array capsules, the bloat capsules really came in clutch. Like they changed my entire weekend. I have no other way around it. I can't stop talking about them. And I've used them for years, but I've just recently kind of re-sparked my joy through them and recognizing how good they really are. Now, here's why my story this time is different, because I just went away on a trip for a weekend. And classically, I always used array pills when I was traveling. I noticed that I was always more bloated when I was traveling, eating different foods, maybe just holding in gas on the airplane. I don't know. But I always used array as my way to manage. I forgot them on this trip. I was just so uncomfortable. Like I I can't even tell you how uncomfortable I was. And the entire time I kept saying to my friend, I'm just kicking myself for not bringing my array pills. Like I cannot believe it. I really could have used them. But let me share a little bit about what Array is and how they work. Well, Array was created to help women feel their best so they can be their best through targeted products, which are 100% natural. They're filler-free, they're organic, and they're formulated by a naturopathic doctor. Array's products work in under an hour, so you actually feel the results. Or like me, when you forget them at home, you feel those results. They solve annoying problems that we talk to our girlfriends about, like I did this last weekend. And the blow capsules are versatile, so they can be taken at any time. Whether you've had that plant-based meal or something heavier like a pizza or a pasta, it optimizes digestion with the use of five herbs and fruit-based digestive enzymes, and it's completely laxative-free, so you're not going to be running to the bathroom. They worked with an eating disorder specialist to formulate their products that they were very intentional about creating products that would actually give people relief from digestive issues without the possibility of using it for weight loss purposes. Because they want to be body positive and they believe that every size and shape is beautiful, but that we just shouldn't have to have discomfort after our meals. And the blow capsules were designed to give people food freedom so you can enjoy the foods you love without that discomfort, gas, and bloating afterwards. And of course, yes, it works on men too. Right now, you can go to array.com, that's spelled A-R-R-A-E.com, and use code PAPAYA at checkout for 10% off a one-time purchase or 25% off your first month on subscription. I cannot say enough good things about them. Like I said, game changer for me, especially as travel becomes a part of my life again. So go and check them out. Use code papaya. You're going to get 10% off a one-time purchase or 25% off your first month on subscription at array.com. Check it out and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. So how do, how does OCD manifest for you in, in a time where it is not under control? How does that look like for you? 
Well, at the time that it was the worst, it's funny because my, you know, my, my therapist was always like, wow, you are the MVP of OCD. Like I just had it manifested in every single possible way you can manifest an OCD. And, you know, there's a mental component to it and a physical component. And basically OCD, you know, it's intrusive thoughts and they're thoughts that don't really stem from anything. And I had what's called scrupulosity, which is basically like, you know, people with OCD, it's funny because we tend to be really good people. Like our whole thing is we're worried about hurting someone. We're worried about doing something wrong. And your brain sort of takes over and creates these situations where you actually did something that you didn't really do. So for instance, there's something called hit and run OCD where you're driving a car and all of a sudden you think you hit somebody. There's absolutely no rationale behind it. There's no evidence of it. You would hear something, you would see something. And then what you basically do is you turn around and you're like, all right, well, I will see, I would see the person if I hit them and you turn around and drive back. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess I didn't hit someone before, but maybe I did it now. And then you're literally spending the next hour of your life circling back and forth. I mean, same thing with people, you know, there's also, if you need to walk into a store and, you know, you can only do it a certain way, or you have to walk in and out four times and everybody's looking at you like, what the hell are you? I mean, it takes over your entire life. You're I, late for things. You. I always try to relate to this, but because I don't have OCD, I've never experienced it, but we've all experienced, you know, anybody who has kids when they're babies, you look, you look back in the car just to make sure you put them in. Like, did you forget the baby? Like we've all done that, you know? And you have that split second, you know, freak out moment, like I forgot my kid, you know, but then you look and they're there and everything's fine. Where with Danielle, it doesn't end. Like you can look back a thousand times and you'll still think that that was the best way I could relate to what she was going through. This blows my mind though, because I didn't know any of this. Like I honestly just thought OCD was this like hyper fixation on organization and like the Monica Gellers. Like if you were to label a character after OCD, we would look at a Monica Geller and be like, yeah, that's OCD. And I knew that there was other things like repetitive actions and stuff like that. I didn't realize how much you could get trapped in an actual situation where you're not just ruminating about it, but you're like there, you're there and like in that behavior repeatedly. That's, I wonder how many people listening are just like, whoa, how did you even figure out? Did you go through, you said that you were like diagnosed, but did you already have an awareness that this might be it? Because like I said, it's not what I would have envisioned OCD to be. Yeah. Well, OCD tends to be, you know, it runs in your family and my mom has it and my grandmother has it. Um, Of course, you know, my poor mother, when she was younger, there was no medication for it or anything, but yeah, you know, it, it can, it takes on many forms and it's extremely, I mean, it really is almost like hallucinating. And, you know, the the thing is, is that there's a constant sense of you need to constantly be reassured. So, you know, if, if you're a partner of someone with OCD, they're constantly asking you like, I didn't do that. Right. You know, I didn't, I think I did it, but I didn't. Right. Tell me I did it. And so the partner really becomes like, it's hard. It's really hard to be a partner of someone with OCD, you know, especially if it's untreated and everything during my pregnancy, it manifested in the way that every single thing I did, I thought was going to hurt my baby. Everything I ate, you know, if my dog jumped on me the wrong way, if, you know, like just literally everything, and then you're not eating and stuff. So then you're really worried that you're going to hurt the baby. And, you know, and it just, and then you, you're constantly calling your doctor. You constantly want to go and get checked that the baby's still okay. And 
it just, it is, it is so incredibly exhausting and overwhelming. And, you know, thankfully now there's a, there is a lot of support for it, but you know, there are times when you just, you're so, again, the shame and the humiliation of what you're doing and the treatment is, is oftentimes even scarier than the actual OCD, because, you know, I describe it as, you know, you're standing, let's say on the top of the empire state building and someone's saying to you like jump and you absolutely hundred percent know there's someone down there with a net that's going to catch you, but you have to trust that, you know, you have to trust that. And you, and that's what you do a thousand times a day, a thousand times a day, you're jumping off the empire state building, trusting that there's a net down there that's going to catch you. You know, you're trusting that when you- Listen, I can't even do the VR version of that. I've tried. I literally could not. You know what I mean? Those plank walk could not do, I like freaked out and I was like, absolutely not. So I cannot even imagine. But in your relationship, Adam, did you know that she had OCD before you entered into the relationship or was it something that manifested along the way? Because I ask this because a lot of us now as more awareness comes about or big life changes like postpartum depression might come up. All of a sudden we have a partner who, you know, is struggling with mental illness or with their mental health in general. And that can be I mean, we have a lot of really negative narratives around people changing and not actually growing with them through that change. So what did that look like for you in terms of what you knew, what you quote unquote signed up for? And what was the reality of a relationship of being with somebody who did have a mental disorder like OCD? Yeah, I had no idea going into it. I didn't know what OCD was. You know, you know what it is from the movies, like somebody tur- turning a lock 15 times. Like, that's what you think OCD is. Right, like kind of Jack Nicholson movie. Yeah, as, um, as good as it gets. Yeah, as good yeah. as it gets. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, that's what you think OCD is. And, of course, it is to a certain degree, but there's so many uh, ways it can, you know, come out. But I had no idea. I didn't know anything until, I guess it was when she was pregnant with our, with our first child, when she was off her medication. And she, you know, she told the whole story already. So, I won't, you know, do it again. But it was it was finding all these irrational thoughts that were in her head that they couldn't leave. And I was the one who was like, I was the one who she would say, did I do this? Did I do that? You know, I would come downstairs and our you know phone would be under the counter. Like she had to unplug the phone and take it down because she was nervous. She was going to pick it up and call. What, what were you going to do? Or, I don't even I know. Don't who even knows yeah, whatever. Like, like she was going to make calls without even realizing she was doing it. And hurt somebody. So, like she was just all these things were coming out. But besides all those there was no relationship. There was no, it wasn't, you know, like having a person with you. It wasn't, you know, she just wasn't there. I was a shell of a human being. Yeah. So you guys became more transactional during that season. I just, would you even say that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really know if we were going to, I mean, I thought for sure Adam was going to leave me. It really got to the point where my parents and my sister pretty much just nursed me back to health. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what she was, was going to become out of this, you know, if she was going to get out of this. Like, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if she was going to walk away from it or be able to be treated for it in any way. I didn't know. You know, we were both just kind of like at this standstill point. Yeah. And I've, I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, a friend of theirs had been diagnosed with MS, which is obviously a physical condition, not necessarily a mental one. And this person was like, I don't want to date because I think that that's unfair to do that to somebody, to bring that into relationship. So Danielle, where did you find your worth out of, you know, having this diagnosis, understanding that it did create a layer for your relationship, but then still, finding that value in yourself and the value to be loved, even though you were different in this way? 
Wow, that's a really good question. Yeah, you, well, I don't know if I even th- I, I think for a long time I, I didn't know. And and I think for it took a while for me to realize that I was worthy. And and I think I, I did a lot of, first of all, there was a period of time where I wanted to make sure that I looked really good. Um, I was really like, okay, well, you know, I was running marathons and I was, you know, losing a lot of weight and, you know, tanning and doing all this stuff. Like, and I was like, all right, well, at least he has a hot wife, you know, like at least he has a wife who looks really good. And, and that really for a little while was like, I'll make it up to him like that. And then, you know, it really wasn't until I think the podcast, because after the OCD and everything, we had a long run of just things going horribly wrong between us. And again, there was always that connection and we always loved each other and and all of that. But, you know, once that was, was done, his dad got sick pretty soon after that, we were dealing with that. And, you know, I I miscarried and again, we had the financial stuff and he had an issue with gambling for a little bit. And like, there was just so much, you know, which is, obviously very, all very good podcast material, but when you're going through it, it sucks. Um, but you know, we, but I think really with the podcast is when I found my worth, when I, when I started to, to, to use it to help other people, you know, when I came out and for the first time talked about it in a way that I was like, I am going to tell everything. And that is, you know, that gives you such a sense of liberation, Right. Like, because when you tell your own story, it's like you can say whatever you want about me. I already told it. It's already out there. I'm the, I'm the same way. I love this quote that once a secret is told, it loses its power. And it's kind of true, right? We all have these things that we carry around about ourselves or we feel like a burden about. I I was obsessive about my, like when I met my husband, I had to be better looking and better in every way than any of his exes. I became so fixated on being a certain person and to relax into like who I was, but I had to like vocalize it. I had to finally like come clean about the fact that the reason I was becoming so um, wild about how I looked and what his exes were like and what their relationship was like was because I had this, like, I must be better than mentality and really coming home to like, I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to look different. Postpartum's going to change my body. I've already had three kids. There is a lot of like a finding safety in relationship, even in those rocky times of like, I'm not, I'm still worthy of being here. I'm not a burden. I'm a person and I have a story and I bring that with me. And obviously the, I, I just feel like when people have stories like this and like listening to yours, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but I believe that good can come from anything. And you all have millions of people now listening to your podcast and hearing these stories and, and witnessing you going through really tough things. And like you said, fights on, on recorded programs, where does your marriage stand today? And how, like, even do you find, uh, what is the part of this question I'm trying to ask? Basically that feeling of, okay, we're in a better place now. Do we still have, like, where do we go from here in terms of having these conversations? Do you deal with that a little bit? Or like, where does everything stand now today, years after starting this podcast and continuing forward? Because you also have this massive Instagram following, which is which is really speaking a lot into what you all have done and the ripple effects of what this type of vulnerable sharing can do. Yeah. Well, where we are today has actually become a huge problem because 
we we don't fight as often anymore. <laughs> and so I, that's what I mean, though. Like, material. it's like, what do you do when you get better? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's not true. Because we're not fighting on the show. That's anymore. not true. Trust me, we fight plenty still. <laughs> don't let them fool you. We definitely fight plenty. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a different. Well, listen, we're in a different stage of life now, and we once sort of really all our excitement came from debauchery and going out and you know having fancy dinners and and staying out late and you know like just having a good time and showing off what what we had and and all of that. And now our excitement, like yesterday, we sent the kids to their grandparents and like we podcasted and watched stupid movies and ordered food, you know, like. Oh my gosh. That's like my dream exactly, life that's right how there. We felt. That's we like, exactly what I want to we do. Like, this is the best day ever. Right. But, you know, 10, 10 years ago, we would have been like, oh my God, to be near each other and like not you know, what, what's the point? Like, no, you know, what, what, what are we doing? So we've, you know, we're, we're much, we're, we really take, you know, take pride in the little things now. And, um, you know, the, the communication obviously is, is a hundred percent different than, than it used to be. And, we're still going to always have issues. I mean, we, we deal with a lot, you know, we're still, uh, we're still trying to figure it all out. And now we have teenagers and, you know, there's yeah, different same. things to it's figure out. Yeah. Right. Shit show it's, is what it's, that it's is. Like hell of- Their emotional well-being. My gosh. And when people complain about toddlers, I'm like, listen, I love teenagers. I think it's my favorite life stage, but my gosh, nobody tells you about like, it was so much easier when a juice box solved their problems. Like, let's be right. real. Absolutely. It's different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, and so we're and we're figuring that all out together. Like, yeah, it's it's a lot. But I do know that we're, you know, we're getting happiness from things that matter now. Right. And that and that, you know, and and we're enjoying ourselves in a different way and we're enjoying each other in a different way. You know, I'm no longer running marathons and, you know, it's all different now. And the concentration is on different things. But like, it's a different season and it's beautiful and, you know, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> Recently, I was asked to go on TV and share a gift guide that I would recommend. It was based around teenagers and yes, I've got three of them, but essentially I recommended this one thing that I have to share about with you all as well. And that's Hydrojug. Hydrojug is something that I have found we actually use. And I know that sounds silly because water bottles are water bottles, right? Wrong. They're actually so different. And Hydrojug now has three different styles that you can have. They're pro Hydrojug, stainless, or my new personal favorite, glass Hydrojugs. I love the glass one because it is so gorgeous. It's easy to clean. It's Instagram worthy if I want to be sharing it. And not only does it make my water clean and cold, it's also super cute as well. And you know what? That's just important to me. My favorite part is actually the lid because there's no other lids like this. It has this flip cap, a dual function sip spout, which my son is obsessed with, and a detachable straw. So I can sip from the straw or remove the straw and pour it like normal. For me, I'm team straw. It's one of my favorite things about the hydro jug. The point of hydro jug is to encourage hydration because they hold half a gallon of water. You can hydrate more and refill less with that leak proof seal. The water stays in the bottle and off your clothes and they have a wide mouth opening, which is one of the reasons so many love it. It's easy to add ice and fruit. 
plus that integrated handle that makes it so easy to carry and drink. And all their products are BPA-free. I love Hydrojug. I've talked about them a lot. I could talk about them all day long. Like I said, they were one of my top recommendations and gift guides this year. And right now you can go and get your Hydrojug or one for someone on your list at thehydrojug.com. But we've got a coupon code for you, of course. Papaya is gonna get you 10% off your order today. Hydrojugs are game changers for anyone on the go, including kids, family, relatives, anyone on your list. Again, use code papaya at thehydrojug.com to get 10% off and start hydrating today. Let's get back to today's show. Yeah, we're not going backwards. We have such this weird feeling of like that we have to go back into who we were, whether it's our bodies when we were 12 or who we were before, you know, bad things might have happened in life. But I just think the way you both are showing up is so unique and obviously so, so special. Tell everyone kind of where they can find you and tune into, I mean, the hot mess express, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and really getting into the goods of marriage and martinis. Yeah, well, you can download our podcast wherever you get your podcast, Marriage and Martinis. And our Instagram account is fun, especially our stories. We have a lot of fun on there at Marriage and Martinis. And we actually, for people who want to have these conversations, we actually have put out a date night ebook that has a lot of the questions we've asked each other and a lot of these anecdotes and um, some small challenges and stuff to do together. Because if you don't have a podcast, you can still have really fun, awesome, intimate conversations. So you can get that at marriagemartinis.com slash DNQ. And that's been getting really awesome feedback. People are having a lot of fun with that. Oh my gosh, I need to do this. Yeah. Okay. We'll send it to you. You will send it to you for sure. I'll do it live on my podcast with my husband. Yeah, then, you then I'll, maybe we'll get yeah, in a fight really and I'll get fun. good listeners. Awesome. Yes, I would love that. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you both so much. I so appreciate you letting me poke and prod and ask these questions and just your just your willingness to be vulnerable about the the hard stuff of life, especially from somebody who's kind of been through divorce but hasn't really been through what it looks like to come from rock bottom and make it through. And I just think that you both are so inspiring. So thank you so much for coming on the thank show you and so sharing. Much. And thank you for everything story. that you do because you really are a true inspiration also. So Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And uh, for listening, I'm going to have all of those little notes in the show notes as well. And we will see you back next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.